0: Hey guys, it's Mina. Before we get started today, I want to remind you to check out the First Draft podcast with ESPN experts Mel Kuiper Jr., Todd McShay, and today's guest, Field Yates. They discuss the latest intel they're hearing leading up to April's draft every Monday and Thursday. It is a must listen. Check out First Draft wherever you get your pods and on ESPN's YouTube page. back to the Meena show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts wants to have a pro day, sponsored by Purina. That's Lenny. I'm Meena Kimes, and I am joined by the one, the only, the great Field Yates. Field, welcome back.
1: Mina, it's so good to be back. I think if our producer Dan Stancic is accurate, this is the 13th time I've had the honor of being on this Ooh. show, which I can't even begin to describe just how thankful I am because... Uh, this show reminds me of my favorite NBA podcast which is also I believe produced by Dan Stanzik it's a low post because I love the opportunity to talk about really anything related to football. And even if it may not be important to a ton of people, it feels really important on this show. Um, so I'm looking forward to our 13th chat. <laughs> what,
0: what, what a great advertising for the Mina Kaim show. Maybe not important
1: to a lot of people. Well, you know what I mean, right? Like something that does a deep dive on like the Indiana Pacers like pick and roll defense. And it's like compelling to me as a basketball fan, but I'm sure like the average sports viewer is not thinking to themselves like you know, I do love the Tyrese, you know, the, the Tyrese Halliburton trade, but like him and Malcolm Brogdon like really are vulnerable against pick and rolls like they're, yes. uh, you know, the plus minus tells you like they might have to address this going <laughs> forward. <laughs> well, I,
0: actually, along those lines, I'm really excited to have you on today because later in the show, we're going to talk about the Tyree Hill trade and what it means for both Kansas City and Miami. And I think the trade is so fascinating, not just from a football perspective, but also from a roster construction perspective, timelines, um, which is something that you and I talk a lot about. Again, not just things that are happening on the field, but how teams are built and what it means. So I think it's going to be a great conversation. We're going to have it later in the show. I'm so excited to hear your thoughts. But I wanted to start the show um, by, you know, sort of, recapping free agency in a way it it has been nonstop madness so much so that I've like, we were going to do a team needs podcast and I have keep pushing it back and back and back. Something I like to do ahead of the draft because it's been insanity in football. And, and the way I want to wrap it up with you is just kind of by talking about the teams we felt, I don't know, kind of won. I know it, it, it's a little bit of a, a, a overly basic rubric, but the teams that we feel won and lost free agency, does that sound good to you?
1: yes totally and you're right is that not only can this like sometimes we're simplifying things a little bit too much because if you go back and look at offseason winners from years past yeah, like it's never great. sometimes we're accurate but sometimes they look good for one season and then it ends up being you know uh, ill-fated decisions over the course of five years or three years and things could change dramatically we still have a lot of unsigned players trades could take place there's a lot that could happen but as we're having this conversation in late march I think it's fair to sort of size up who has done well so far this year and whose off season has left us wanting more.
0: Yeah. I think a good example is new England, which a lot of people, you know, saw as a winner last year because they spent so much money. And while I wouldn't call them a loser necessarily, I think some of the signings did work out. Um, you know, Matt Judon notably, um, I think, well, I guess Hunter Henry to some extent, um, you know, Kendrick Bourne, Hunter
1: Henry, Dylan yeah, Mills, Judon, Davon Godchow. Like, I think they feel that like they got at least five hits out of last year's free agent class, and then yeah. I think they feel as though someone like Johnu Smith, as much as yeah. people may want to say, like, what could they trade him for, or what a disappointment he yeah. was. Like, part of the responsibility of coaching Mina is finding ways to get more out of a player because, exactly, with, effectively with the contract he signed, he's with the Patriots for at least this year, and. I'm not saying Jonu Smith is Travis Kelsey, but when he was signed last year to that big money deal, we all thought like that's a lot of money, but none of us thought like the Patriots just overpaid on a player yeah. who offers nothing. Like he offers a lot. He's an example. And I think we can see this around the league of how sometimes you just got to get more out of players than mm. you that you've invested in previously. I think the Packers are a good team where that's going to be an example this year because of some of their limitations in free agency this year and some of their, well, most notably their wide receiver departure in Devontae Adams.
0: 100%. And I think, and John, like, again, when they signed him, I was like, wow, I I loved him in Tennessee, how he was used. And I think you can definitely criticize some of his usage and production, you know, in New England. And I think that as we do this exercise, it is not just like who got the best players, who spent the most or got the best value, but also like, how do we see them fitting into this team, addressing holes? Do we have confidence in the team's ability to use them well. And I'll start first um, with a team that I feel like did identify a lot of good players that will help them win now, players that I expect to be um, useful to them, and that is the Buffalo Bills, uh, a team that I think mm-hmm. like that we probably, similarly to New, Cl- New England, now have a lot of trust in Brandon Bean. You know, so I think... We look at this team, we think, well, if he did something, it's probably right. And I try to not to do that generally, but just going signing by signing field. I mean, it just as kind of a brief recap, they brought in a lot of guys on very reasonable deals. Um, Daquan Jones, Tim Settle, who's kind of like a hipster fave signing. Um, Shaq <laughs> Lawson, Roger Saffold, that's a signing I particularly liked. Um, Jameson Crowder. On a one-year, two million dollar deal to replace Cole Beasley. Yeah. And then the big signing, which was Von Miller. I talked about that a little bit last week. You know, it's not as money, much money as it seemed. It was presented as six years, 120 million. It's really um three years 50-ish. But, you know, that's that's definitely the highest risk one because of his age, although he is coming off of an incredibly productive stretch with the Rams, and I think joins a team where, it, you know, that that if I had to pick. A position that I wanted them to address, maybe outside of the offensive line, it was edge rusher with Jerry Hughes out and then the other edge rushers on their roster being so young. I just like the idea that they brought in an experienced, successful edge rusher who I think fits well into their scheme and crucially fits well into their timeline because, feel, this is a team that should be competing for the Super Bowl.
1: They should be. As a matter of fact, Mina, and again, so much can change. Right now, like they're my pick. They're like my 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 number one team in the NFL. If we were to do arbitrary power rankings for the twenty twenty two season, like the Bills are the number one team in the NFL right now, both in terms of like quantity of strengths and limitation of weaknesses. And I think the Vaughn Miller signing is going to be justified, I think, most obviously, if they win the Super Bowl, right? Like if they don't win a Super Bowl and Vaughn still has 12 sacks over each of the next three seasons, we'll still look at it as like a worthwhile addition. But if they have eight sacks and he's a key contributor to a team that wins the Super Bowl next year, we're all going to say no matter what happens beyond that, it's worth it. And I know this is not going to be the only way to justify an acquisition, but think about how far we've come. Uh, I don't exactly remember when it was, but I believe it was The Athletic like three or four years ago that did sort of like an anonymous poll about uh, two free agents, like let's say 100 of them. And it was like, where would you most like to sign based off city alone? And like, Mm. what's the one place where you wouldn't want to sign? And for a while, the conversation was, I'm not going to Buffalo, right? It's a small market. It's distant from any – I mean, Buffalo itself is a – medium-sized city, but it's it's distant from really of some. if you think about the five or eight most desirable cities to live in in our country, it's, it's, it's fairly distant from any of them, right? It's not around the corner from Los Angeles or Dallas or New York or Chicago or Boston or Philadelphia, whatever. You get the point, Miami. Um, think about how far things have come, right? Like Josh Allen is a recruiter. I mean, even if he's not saying anything, like Josh Allen's body of work is a recruiter he is now the player that other players want to gravitate towards because they believe in him. So there's absolutely risk in the deal. Um, if you had asked me when Von Miller was traded to Los Angeles, what kind of contract I would have forecasted for him after the season, and maybe even at the end of last regular season, I would not have guessed a deal that pays him 50 million dollars guaranteed over the first three years of it. But he turned it on at the right time. And this is going to be one of those moves that might be justified by a handful of big moments uh, and team success. And if you're going to take a master stroke or if you're going to take one big swing, like I'm okay with it being on a guy whose track record suggests that not only is he going to age well, but that he's going to bring his best when he is playing in the biggest moments. He's been very successful in the playoffs throughout his career.
0: Your um, point about Buffalo reminded me of Marshawn Lynch when he was drafted by the Bills and he landed and realized <laughs> it wasn't New York City. Uh, he's told that story. It always cracks me up. Um, uh, and then the infamous, of course, Kenny Main video. Uh, Marshawn Lynch loves the My women in Buffalo. I- I- Iconic. But yeah, with Vaughn, like, you know, he plays a position where I think the aging curve won't be as harsh as it w- would be for some other positions. He also is incredibly uh, underrated in run defense, which is something that I think Buffalo mm-hmm. uh, did need help with um i should also note I, I don't think i said this they extended uh, mitch morse who you know their center been yep. so important to the offensive line and then isaiah mckenzie for really like not a lot of money i mean that's the thing outside of the yeah, miller deal yeah like if you look at all these contracts they're all super affordable so basically they took like one big swing um and otherwise We're going to talk about some teams that took more than one big swing later. But otherwise, I really like what they did. So Field, who is your first winner?
1: Yeah, I'm going to make it short and sweet here, Mina, because I think there might be some fatigue when you discuss a team at length for two years straight now. (laughs) But the Buccaneers were big winners Uh, because Tom Brady's retirement lasted 40 days. I mean, it was the move that we thought was going to define the offseason, the greatest player of all time walking away after leading the league in both passing yards and passing touchdowns. But Tom Brady's return unlocked everything else, right? Like, I'm not so sure if Tom Brady decided to stay retired, whether I would classify re signing Ryan Jensen at three years and $36 million, and Leonard Fournette at three years and $21 million, and paying Russell Gage $10 million a year. I'm not sure that I would have classified those as moves that I thought were like great values. Yeah. But when Tom Brady is your quarterback, at least for this upcoming season, I view it as like the cost of doing business. Like all those guys are really good players, right? But if your quarterback was going to be Blaine Gabber going into next year, right, you might have been better served to sort of start thinking about the future as opposed to worrying about 2022. So Brady returns and beyond the fact that Brady returns and they've retained all of these players, one of the themes of the NFL this year, and I don't know why this is the case, I can't attribute it to anything, is that the AFC has stacked up so many good players Well, the NFC has basically kissed them all goodbye. I mean, who's the best player to go from the NFC to the AFC this year? The list is like 10 deep, right? I mean, Russell Wilson and obviously Khalil Mack and Von Miller we just talked about, and Devontae Adams, amongst many others. Do it the other way around. Like, who's the best player to go from the AFC to the NFC? And the list is a lot less inspiring, not to mention that a couple of the players that left in the NFC are from some of the best teams, some of the Bucs' stiffest competition. Yeah. That includes the Packers, who will no longer have one of, if not the best receivers in the NFL, in Devontae Adams. So it feels to me like Tom Brady is as well-equipped and well-positioned to make this Super Bowl next year as he has been in quite some time. And this is about this is a guy who's been there, what, 10 times already before?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think... God, I'm going to use the word timeline like way too much on this podcast. But once Tom Brady returned it shifted the Bucks' timeline as you've painstakingly laid out, laid out. And we evaluate off seasons by looking at whether teams can win, I think, you know, and I, it really colors to me how I view decision making. Is this team aware of where they are, their ceiling, their limitations? And when you have Tom Brady back and you already have a decent roster, your ceiling, like the Bills, is the Super Bowl. So you make signings like the ones you described that you wouldn't otherwise make if you were rebuilding. Um, you know, and R- Russell Gage, like such an underrated player, I think, you know, it, yeah. it was the Falcons wide receiver one by the end. So, like, I think that's amazing. Obviously, keeping Chris Godwin. Value-wise, though, I actually did think they get got some value. I mean, I thought Carlton Davis would make way more money than he did, you know, came came back uh and he's getting $30 million over the next two years. I think for his skill set and what he's shown already in his age. Like that's really impressive. And then the other thing, I think this hat broke after last week's podcast, um, the trade for Shaq Mason, uh, mm. or actually, you know what Aaron, Aaron Schatz broke this during the podcast. Not that I don't remember. Cause he was uh, disappointed from the Patriot side again. Great value. I mean, I losing Ali Marpet hurts so much, but the fact that they've been able to like, you know, fairly reasonably replenish the offensive line. You mentioned bringing back Jensen that's so important to getting the most out of Brady. And I just look at this team, and I look at everything they did, and I think, okay, they have done everything they can to keep this roster in contention with the quarterback who can compete.
1: Yep. And they've got a couple pieces they still have to work on as of the time that you and I are having this conversation. Gronk remains unsigned, and Dominican Sue remains unsigned, Jason Pierre-Paul remains unsigned. So there are a handful of players that – have been important players for them over the past two seasons that may or may not be back. If I were to guess, if Gronk's playing next year, he is playing for Tampa Bay. But this team, to me, looks you know ready to win. And in, in the NFC, there's, I don't know, six or seven teams that feel like they're ready to win next year. Whereas in the AFC, it's easier to list the teams that probably don't view themselves as legitimate playoff contenders than it is to do the opposite. Because I think conservatively, and this is conservatively, 13 AFC teams think they're going to the playoffs next year. And and it could be more like 14 or 15. Um, And I know that no team would ever come out on the record and say, we don't think we're making the playoffs. But when I look at the AFC next year, there's one team that truly strikes me as still very much in the rebuild mode. That's the Texans. Everybody else, I think, is expecting a big leap next year.
0: It's wild. I mean, like,
1: we could do a Texans podcast, by the way, Mina. I know they have, we, we've talked about them a lot in the, in the Deshaun Watson context. I actually think they've done some good things. Nick Cassero has done some, I think, interesting and useful things in taking over. And I think they have a chance to be a team. Like, I would earmark them as a team to watch over these next two to three years. Because Definitely. I, a lot of stuff that's going right down there, and I wouldn't be surprised if we're talking about them in a very favorable light in a couple of seasons. Well, I think just also
0: given the – what they've done to sort of accelerate the rebuild and of course obviously with the Watson trade their team is going to be really fascinating ahead of the draft because you know Good. they're they're putting the pieces in place now and um you know it looks like they're going to roll with Mills which suggests it's still obviously a transition year but there's a lot of things that they can continue doing to get ready for when they're ready to finally compete again um, so my, sure. my next winner is in the AFC. I feel like this is, if you ever look at like winners and losers lists or have heard commentary, this is like the universal choice, which makes me feel like maybe it's the wrong choice, but hmm. I just love everything the Chargers did, man. I mean, I, I love it. I've talked about it a little bit already, but now we can kind of look at it all in full. So on offense, you had Gerald Everett, um, I believe replacing Jared Cook. Jared Cook's a free agent, right?
1: On top He it. still is as He's of right amazing. now. Yep.
0: So, you know, getting younger, um, more athletic there. I I think Gerald Everett's, you know, he had some drops in Seattle and some injuries, but still a reasonably high upside player. And then they extend Mike Williams and a fairly rich contract. But um, my sense is that, you know, they really like his connection with Herbert and they just kind of want to sustain the offensive production there. But the really big moves, of course, were on defense, a defense that ranked 19th versus the pass 30th versus the run, which feels high. I'm using DBOA. Feels like it was worse yeah. than 30, but whatever. Um, so clearly a defense that had to make a lot of additions. We knew coming into this offseason, they had a ton of cap space um to fix the problems, especially you know, against the run, the middle, um, but also at corner. And so speaking of corner, they go out, they get JC Jackson, who's the kind of jewel of the class, and they get him at 16 and a half per year, which you know, he is not one of the highest-paid cornerbacks in the NFL. I don't know. The cool the cornerback market has been kind of shocking to me this year, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. But undeniably, a massive addition because this is a team that got absolutely shredded on third down. You know, when you're playing more man, like it was just a huge problem for them. They have some young cornerbacks that they like. Uh, they add, of course, they do the big trade for Khalil Mack, who, you know, I think... um, They've just, the pass rush outside of Bosa has been inconsistent. So that helps a lot. Didn't have to give up Crazy Bank. The contract's super reasonable after this year. They can move on if if he's injured. And then they um, signed Sebastian Joseph Day, who of course Brandon Saley is familiar with from the Rams, to kind of anchor the middle and help improve against the run. Um, I don't know. Am I like, this is the good on paper offseason? Do you have any concerns given everything I just kind of recaptured?
1: Uh, well, the biggest concern for the Chargers is they play in a division where they could be first or they could be fourth, and it wouldn't be a surprise, right? True. But that same logic applies to the Broncos and the Chiefs and the Raiders. Like it's as competitive a division as I can recall in quite some time, and that does not feel like being a prisoner of the moment. Um, so, and, and I think the other part that uh, probably is a concern, right? Not a concern, but it's something I'm I'm just sort of monitoring with with the Chargers, and again applies to the other same te- the other three teams in their division is that it sure looks like the pass rush is going to be a problem for like every team, right? I mean, you've got Max Crosby and Chandler Jones in one team. You've got, you know, Chris Jones uh, sort of on his own in Kansas City. Frank Clark played a little bit better as a rusher down the stretch last year, but I think Kansas City will still try to find at least one more player that can help them impact the rush. Denver with a Bradley Chubb and Randy Gregory duo. Like those are players you got to account for and – you know Brian Bulaga was released earlier on this yeah. season. He's been banged up, and it hasn't been it was not necessarily a perfect tenure for him with the Chargers. We'll see if they uh, kick Matt Filer out to right tackle. He played that previously in in mm-hmm. Pittsburgh when he was with the Steelers. Uh, but that would be my concern because forever it felt like we were talking about the Chargers' offensive line along with Phillip Rivers. Now some of that's been offset because they've a, gotten better. I mean Corey Lunds is a really good player in the center. Of the line, And then obviously Rashawn Slater looked like, you know, basically like he was a 10 year veteran, not a yeah. rookie player last year. Uh, and Jen, obviously Herbo's, I mean, his Justin Herbert's elusive ability is going to offset some of that as well. That being said, I still want to see the offensive line just sort of piece it together. Anytime you have a little bit of attrition, it's something that has my mind. And then lastly, the last thing I'll say is that for years and years, and it feels like especially over the past two years, Charger special teams were a major issue. And I know that's mm. not a fun thing to talk about, but it cost them games last year. Now they made a coordinator switch and I think there's some optimism. They will get better in that third field of the game or third layer of the game. But uh, that's something that can be the difference because there are going to be a lot of close games. We're hitting yardage in coverage units and clutch field goals and, you know, Blocked punts here or there are going to be the kind of things that turn your 10 and 7 season into either a 7 and 10 season or a 13 and 4 season.
0: And of course, like you said, AFC West, the margins are so thin. I don't think any of these teams mm-hmm. can afford, you know, like unnecessary losses. Um, I agree, right tackle is the huge question mark for me. Um, obviously that was a huge problem from them last year. Storm Norton on the right side after Bulaga got hurt. I do think, however, that the spending spree um kind of opens up their ability to address that in the draft as well. I mean, you mentioned Matt Byler, yeah. which I think is interesting, but you know, I, I, thought they would go defense in the draft at pick 17, but now I suspect it'll be either a right tackle or wide receiver. Um, and wide receiver would be fun. I mm. mean, if they were to get I'm like a sure. Chris Olave and pair him with Mike Williams and Keenan Allen and <laughs> good God. Um, but, but, but uh, just to kind of cap it, like we talked about Tom Brady and their win now and how they approached contracts. Justin Herbert costs nothing. He's one of the five best quarterbacks in the NFL, in my opinion, and he costs nothing. So this is a team saying, all right, great, let's do everything we can to maximize his rookie window. I also like it because I think they got genuinely good players, unlike some other teams that spent big that I might bring up later. Okay, one more winner from you. Mm, Interesting.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So one more winner and I'm going to go sort of chalky and I feel like almost like a fiduciary responsibility, which I think that's the, (laughs) I don't think I'm using that term appropriately. I I always think of that with real estate. Feels um, good. but yeah, when I'm on the podcast with you, I have to think of the biggest words that I know, uh, the Broncos, <laughs> right. Uh, mm. because, and, and I'm not, not you, you, can, you can actually mute me if you want, or you can turn off your own headphones for a few minutes here. Uh, you and I have talked about Russ at length, right? Like, yeah, we, we tend to make this a little bit too simple. Like, oh, they got Russell Wilson, like, you know, all pro quarterback. All right. For the past year and a half, like Russell Wilson has not played like an all pro quarterback. Like Correct. that's fair to note. Now, I also believe there's a chance that some of Russ's struggles over the past year uh, were not just because he injured his hand after he hit Aaron Donald's helmet with his index or middle finger last year, but like it's clear that Russ was unhappy in Seattle. And this dates back to last offseason when he... It was the most polite way of requesting <laughs> a trade without ever actually requesting a trade. Like I'm fully convinced that Russell Wilson just did not want to be the person... Who anybody could lick back on and say, hey, back in 2021, he requested a trip. Yeah. I think yeah. there what seemed he like did. Was motivation. Let me for-
2: just
0: get in here. What he did was like, if you were dating someone, you're saying, I don't wanna break up with them, but if I were to exactly. break up with them, here are four girls that I would be interested in dating. Okay, backing up.
1: Totally. Totally. Now, I thought the Seahawks were very good about their statements when after the Russell Wilson trade was official. I think Pete and John Schneider and the Allen family all said, like, Russell wanted to leave Seattle. So we had to accommodate him. Right. So uh, I think it was clear that while he may not have wanted to uh, call it a trade demand, they were pretty emphatic that this was not like a voluntary decision that they made. You Mm. would prefer to have a guy who's very, very good at this job. But I think that some of his struggles over the past year were circumstance, not just ability. So I think that Russ is going to be a very, very, very good quarterback for the Broncos over the next however many years that he remains in Denver. Wouldn't surprise me if he gets a new contract sooner rather than later, especially with the exploding quarterback Ooh, market with Rodgers' new deal and Deshaun Watson' new deal. Yeah, um, good reminder to like if you're doing a quarterback deal sooner rather than later it's almost always going to pay off. Like, and I, I know that people are going to, assuming the quarterback is a guy you have fewer questions than answers. Like I know Jared Goff and, uh, and, and Carson Wentz and and other quarterbacks are examples of the contrary, but those were, those are question marks right away, right? Like if, if I have a Lamar Jackson on my team and on the Baltimore Ravens, like I'm gonna find a way to get that deal done right now because I can't imagine this price tag. Uh, it's it's gonna like if they get something done for 44 or 45 or 46 million dollars a year. It sounds like a lot, but like in three or four years from right now, it's gonna seem like a bargain. Anyways, I digress. The Broncos not only acquired Russell Wilson, as we all know, they found a way to convince Randy Gregory to change his mind. I think Gregory is a classic example that you are paying for what you believe you're going to get, not what you have done up to this point, right? As we know, Randy Gregory has never had more than six sacks in a season, but still has a lot of talents, like the way that he bends the edge is not quite Von Miller-like, but it's got some Von shades to it. And then I think that just like generally speaking, they've made some solid moves around the margin as well. Like Kaywan Williams is a useful slot cornerback they got for modest money. They just re-signed Billy Turner, a guy who's played left guard, right guard, right tackle, left tackle. Like to have someone who can play probably any offensive line spot for a deal that's up to 5 million bucks. Again, good value. Like I thought the Broncos did some smart things, not just around the margins, but also the major, you know, massive acquisitions led by Russell Wilson and Randy Gregory.
0: Yeah, I mean everything you just said about Russell Wilson was really spot on. And in terms of the last year and a half, I think I do think he's going to play well. Um and look, if you go from Drew Locke to Russell Wilson you won the offseason. Like I don't you everything else you could just throw out. Sure. But I, I do like a lot of the moves around the margins too. I think the Randy Gregory one is a little bit high risk, you know, we're talking about a guy who's missed a lot of time, but like DJ Jones, like he said he's such an underrated player. Solid
2: player. Yep. Just
0: so good for San Francisco and I think will help shore up a defense that was, you know, surprisingly bad last year. Um, something I've talked yeah. about trying to kind of work my three way through a uh, really quick before we get to the losers. I'll just throw out one that we probably, you know, I, I, I know these fans are screaming at home, the Bengals uh, mm. uh, just, yep. you know, just very quickly, obviously did went all in on fixing your offensive line, but I think like notably didn't spend a ton of money doing so. Uh, and I think they just got a lot of good, two better than good players, but given where they were, obviously such an upgrade that I think um, you can definitely count this offseason as a big win for them.
1: Totally. And, but I mean, we're, we're changing like several fan bases right now, because there were other off seasons that you could easily put yeah. in this winner's category. And so I, I'm, I'm issuing on behalf of both of us, <laughs> a blanket apology. Like other teams did some good stuff, right? Yeah, like totally. Raiders fans have rights to be, have right the right to be excited right now. Like, I like there are teams the that have did. done smart things. Yeah. Yeah, totally. The Ravens keep doing Ravens things, right? Always. And the Colts feel better about where they're at right now. Yes. That being said, um, you know we can only pick two winners each. So, mm. All right. Um, not everybody's going to be thrown into that category.
0: So now, this bad part. Give me your first loser. Mm.
1: <laughs> so the first loser for me, and I want to start with a little bit of a caveat here, is just that sometimes you can be deemed a loser because of, circumstances that preceded you. So one team that strikes me as a loser this off season is the Atlanta Falcons. And when Terry Fontenot took over this job last off season, it was clear. I mean, like he had, I'm not even sure how to describe it, whatever, like a disaster on steroids is from the salary cap perspective, like that's what he inherited, right? I mean, it was the, you know, it was just a very, very tight rope to navigate and they had minimal flexibility they had the fourth overall pick in the draft, which was really like their only crown jewel asset to work with last offseason. They made a couple of small signings in free agency, but they had some bloated contracts. They had some extensions for incumbent players that they just kept kicking the can on and kicking the can on. That all of a sudden you've got these massive bloated numbers that are just hard to work around. And then this offseason, I am not. Let me make this. Let me start to try to phrase this appropriately. <laughs> I understand. From a pure football talent perspective, why a team would find the opportunity to acquire Deshaun Watson, who's 26, and after he serves what I presume will be some sort of suspension for the NFL, has maybe 10 or 12 years of great football ahead of him. I understand why you would do your due diligence when that unique circumstances arise, especially because it seemed like Deshaun had legitimate interest in returning to his home state. Conversely, in doing so, you run a significant risk, which is maybe not alienating, but at the least aggravating, perhaps the greatest player in your franchise's history and Matt Ryan and somebody who dug you up from the mud when you drafted him third overall back in 2008. And they took a big swing. It did not work. The net result was that they had to trade Matt Ryan. They didn't have to, but it felt like at that point, you know, sort of "quote unquote" do right by Matt. They moved on from him. So um, this team is sort of straddling a unique line next year. They played way above their, they punched way above their Mm weight last year on route to a what eight and nine record, um, seven and ten record. Like they were frisky for a minute. Um, so maybe they'll be frisky again this year, but it wouldn't surprise me if Atlanta decides to take a bigger picture look and say, you know something, if this upcoming year results in us with a top five pick that allows us to pursue a quarterback next year's next year's draft, like it's going to stink going through it, but it might be for the best. Uh they were, you know, they were relatively inactive in free agency, like the Casey Hayward signing Marcus Mariota, you know, we'll see how long that actually lasts, but he's a bridge quarterback, you know, retaining quarter all Patterson, but this team, Basically, couldn't make any major moves other than the potential Deshaun Watson trade. So, I classify them as a loser.
0: Yeah, I think like all of your caveats about the situation they inherited, the the difficult nature of the rebuild because of Ryan's contract and you know, dating back to last year are important here. But, like you said, you know, you had fans who felt who didn't want them to pursue Watson, and then you had fans who were like, "Well, now you're alienated. Like, I I just don't see how you can walk away from their approach this offseason feeling good about the team i do think you know you you mentioned some of the signings um you know managing a tank is hard i mean i'm not calling a tank but let's be real this team's gonna suck and i think sure what they did that i do like is they brought in veterans who are very well liked and respected you named all of them hayward patterson mariota and i think it's so important as you go through this process after ripping the Band-Aid that you can actually, like one, feel the respectable team, but also keep the locker room from imploding. So I I do like mm. the particular guys they signed to that purpose, but I 100% agree with you about just kind of the overall feel of this offseason. Um, yeah, it's weird. Like, yeah. I'm calling
1: them a loser, but I'm not sort of blaming them at the same yes, time. Yes, but totally. It,
0: well, The funny.
1: conceit of a loser makes you think, like, these people yeah. did things incorrectly.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm going to throw out one that I'm not, I, I've am i kind of gone back and forth on because I also think that they were in a tough situation, but they put themselves in that situation. And that's Dallas. Um, just, you know, a lot of talent walked out the door. I mean, they do the Cooper trade, which at, at the time I understood, but I was like, yeah. when, when they did that, I thought, okay, great. So now it can be Gallup and, well, Lamb is wide receiver one, then Gallup, and Cedar Wilson. But then they lose to Cedar Wilson too, you know? And, and I was like, ah, suddenly what was an incredible strength for this team? It, You know, I think Lamb and Gallup, who they retained, are still good, and they kept Schultz, but it's not as great. And then you're, you're watching guys like Leo, like Leo Collins leave. Um, so there's question marks on the offensive line, especially at tackle given that Tyron Smith is often injured. Um, so that, you know, it, it's just, I think some of the players – that left, like they brought in Dante Fowler Jr. On a very, very reasonable contract. But, you know, there's going to be a bit of a downgrade at the pass rush. He has one year, three million. That's crazy. Um, so I just think like this is a team that made some bad contractual decisions in the past. And now things came home to roost. And I don't think, see, I mean, they extended at uh, DeMarcus Lawrence too. By the way. I just don't see how you can look at this roster and think it's better than it was last
1: year. Yeah, I would agree. I think the 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 pathway for Dallas to be better this year is Dak Prescott doesn't regress after a calf injury. Yeah. Um and that they get like a little bit more out of players that like are good, like no doubt about it. Like CeeDee Lamb is going to be really really good, but maybe he maybe he's better cast in like a clear-cut number 1 role as opposed to the co-star of the show along with Amari Cooper last year. But I'm with you. Like they they had some tough There was some difficult attrition this offseason, and I know that one of the favorite Twitter terms is the cap is fake. Um, Ask the Cowboys and the Packers, the Chiefs, whether or not the cap is fake. Yes.
0: Um,
1: So I'll offer up one more loser if that's okay. And um, You can do a lot of things correctly and still be a loser of the offseason in my mind. And that's where I land with the Carolina Panthers, Mina, and it goes back multiple years. So I liked some of the stuff that they did. I mean, I think Austin Corbett, like a perfectly reasonable offensive line signing amongst several moves that they made in free agency. That's just an example, right? Like I have no issue with the money. I have no issue with how the team allocated resources there. Like I'm cool with a move like that. I think it was three years and $28.5 million for – I like that was the, the specifics of it. You retained a couple of key pieces, Dante Jackson. I like bringing him back, and DJ Moore extending him. Like it's always good to have some of your best players around, like for the long term. That's all good. They found some value in a guy like Corey Littleton, Damian Wilson, Matt Ioannidis. Like all those moves are fine. They're all good, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Um. The problem is that for two years they have been on a wild goose chase to try to acquire a quarterback. And I'm not sure they're any closer to accomplishing that mission than they were when they began. And you can look at it as like sort of a series of ill-fated decisions. Uh, I think I've told this story before on the podcast, but I was in Mobile last year at the Senior Bowl prior to the 2021 NFL Draft when both the Dolphins and the Panthers coached the two teams. There were six quarterbacks there. Only one of them was amongst the top players in the draft. That was Mac Jones. Like. It looked like the Panthers flirted with Mac Jones for like seven straight days or whatever it was, five straight days down there. And I'm thinking to myself, the floor for Mac Jones is pick eight. The floor in the mm-hmm. draft. Well, they bypassed Mac Jones, they bypassed Justin Fields, they traded for Sam Donald well in advance of the draft. And that was like a calculated decision by them that seems like a miscalculation now. Yeah. So I know that and then you 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 multiply that by exercising the fifth year option on Sam Darnold. You eventually brought in Cam Newton, paid him $6 million guarantee, which I get it. It's not like they didn't have the cap space, but it's cash and that's future money you can't roll over. And then this year, Mina, we know that they were hovering around the Deshaun Watson circumstances and the sweepstakes there. And that's been something that they've been connected to for over a year now since Deshaun's initial request, trade request came out back in January of 2021. And right now, as of, again, our conversation, Sam Darnold is, quote, in the lead to be their starting quarterback. Saw that. Year. I so saw that. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. That's just a that's gotta be a super, super humbling reality <laughs> for Panthers fans because there are some unique pieces in place in this roster.
0: Did you see the report that like Matt Corral didn't make time to have dinner with Matt Roller? I, yeah. I hope I'm not misrepresenting yeah. that. But um yeah, yeah, it, it, apparently yeah. I think
1: that Scott Fitterer, their GM, uh, corrected, just basically said, like, oh, okay, we got in late, like whatever, we arrived at this is why you're on the show to correct my day. reckless yeah.
0: <laughs> repetition yeah. of things I see on the internet. Um yeah, I think this is it, it's similar to the Cowboys, right? We're like not similar in terms of the identity of the team. Obviously, the Cowboys are much better, they have a quarterback, but it's like what we're we're basically punishing them essentially for decisions they've made in the past that have gotten them yep. to this point. Because when you took at when you look at winners and losers, you actually kind of have to look at these teams over like three years. Right. And like, this is a team that has just failed to address the quarterback position in the many ways you described. Um, I think, I mean, I'll be curious to hear your thoughts. I think they're going to draft someone at eight just because I don't think they can take another flyer on a reclamation project after it going so poorly with Sam Trade it for a second, wild step back and think about that. But anyways, yeah. um, I feel like they just want to like have a, you know, like go younger and at least like kind of sexier for the fan base. Um, but again, like could have done yes last year. So I don't yeah. know.
1: Well, the other part, I mean, is that like, I just, I, th- there's going to eventually be another quarterback. That's a veteran. That's, you know, not content and wants to trade. But like we've seen a lot of these moves already, like we've seen a lot of the big ones already take place. That yeah. like there's no guarantee next year there is a player of the caliber of Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson who wants to be traded, right? Like, who's to say that somebody becomes available? Like their best path to finding a quarterback long term might be the draft. And this ain't the year to be looking for a quarterback right. in the draft.
0: Exactly. Um, well, speaking of teams that need quarterbacks, I'll finish with my last loser, and that is Your Seattle Seahawks. Um, Sort of, Mm -hmm. I'll start by saying, you know, the same logic as the inverse for the Broncos. If you go from Russell Wilson to Drew Locke, you lost the offseason. I've talked at length about how I felt like the return was insufficient. Um, But, you know, just kind of looking at the rest of their signings. um, So they did get, you know, Noah Fant in that trade and Shelby Harris, two good players. Um, And they did some things I liked, like I think retaining or bringing back. Quinton Jefferson, um, Al Woods, the defensive line suddenly is looking good. They signed Uchenen Wosu from the Chargers, who is, you know, kind of a rising young player, but, and then they also signed uh, Austin Blythe, the chief center, right? Um, I like the Quandre Diggs signing. I've gotten into detail on that, but then I look at like where they've allocated resources. Like, you bring in no fan and then you give will disley eight million dollars a year you pay rashad penny a pretty sizable i mean he's very good down the stretch this is not a referendum on those players but this is a team without tackles or cornerbacks and i just feel like positional value continues to escape them <laughs> year after year uh and it's obviously a reflection a little bit of their of, of pete carroll's philosophy on uh the actual game but it just feels like I I don't like you get into the season not only having lost Russell Wilson, but having failed to address two incredibly important positions.
1: I'm with you. I mean, I think if I've done the math correctly, Mina, they're gonna pay somewhere north of twelve million dollars in cash to the running back room this year. And it feels like both Chris Carson and Rashad Penny are at their best when they're the guy, right? As opposed to part of a committee. I feel like that's almost like right. it's working against you when you have them as a tandem as opposed to one in the lead back role, which Penny handled masterfully last year and Carson has handled really well in the past himself. So yeah, it's a, it's tough. And I'm not trying to um, spin this to make you feel better about the situation. I I still feel like this is one of those teams though, that like, there's gotta be something else this off season, right? I mean, maybe I'm wrong
0: Well, so it would be either Baker Mayfield as the quarterback or drafting a guy otherwise you're rolling out Lock, and i mean i just i've already expressed my opinion of his play so
1: yeah well be careful now dk will tell you to to watch out in the slander what a good guy um, he is and i don't know like yeah yeah um i don't know how this thing how this ends um i don't know how maybe baker mayfield is the is like the who is seems like the most obvious target at this point maybe that's how this all ends but it just feels to me like you have enough established veteran pieces on this roster to think that they won't find a way to potentially add some competition. And I'm not talking about a rookie quarterback number nine overall, because I do feel like again, and I, I'm broken record and I will be by the time I get to March, sorry, April 28th. Like this simply isn't the year to be searching for a quarterback that you expect right away yeah. to help keep you in the playoff race.
0: Well, they're running out of options. <laughs> All right. Uh <laughs> Sorry to be so negative. After the break, we're going to talk about the monster trade, Tyree Killed to the Dolphins, and what it means for both Kansas City and Miami.
2: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Mina Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot slash Mina Show, M-I-N-A-S-H-O-W.
0: This podcast is proud to be supported by
2: Jets Pizza,
0: the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience, recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. So Field, news broke last week that... I truly think this was a shock to everyone. Like I had, I mean, you're more plugged yeah. in than I am. I hadn't, I, you know, I knew Tyreek Hill wanted a new contract. Um, but I didn't see this coming at all. I didn't see it coming from Miami, a team that's already invested a lot of uh, draft capital and money into the wide receiver position. And yeah, I did. I didn't think the chiefs would actually pull the trigger either. So what happened was, um, the Dolphins got Hill in exchange for five draft picks, including a first and a second this year then a fourth this year and then a fourth and a sixth next year and then immediately turned around and signed Hill to a uh, four year hundred twenty million dollar contract uh, with about seventy five in new money, which actually on a new money basis makes him more uh higher he's receiving more money than Devonte Adams, which is fascinating um. We should note, you know, before then, Tyreek Hill was on a very reasonable contract with Kansas City that he signed in 2019. I think it was three or $54 million. And, you know, I I just want to address something really quickly before we get into the football side of this. Um, Kansas City was able to acquire him where they did in the draft and then pay him so low in large part because of um, his past transgressions going into the draft. He pleaded guilty to domestic violence by strangulation. There was an incident that rose again that didn't really amount to much. Uh, legally rather in, when he was in Kansas city, but the chiefs were able to take advantage of that. I just wanted to hit that because, you know, I spent the last few days, you know, I've talked about this talking about Watson and his case and what it means and something that comes up a lot. Uh, i hear a lot is, well, why don't you talk about it with other guys? You know, Hill, Ben Roethlisberger comes a lot. And, and I said this to you, I, I wrote a piece about Tyreek Hill actually when he was drafted and in the piece you guys can read it on ESPN.com or just Google my name and Tyree Kill. I was wrestling with like, okay, when these guys enter the league and they become football players, and we start talking about football, when is the right time to work these facts of their life into conversation? When you know, because sometimes I don't feel like it's the right time. In fact, sometimes I can feel I feel like it can be actually like triggering and unexpected for people to just casually. Um, try to mention it, you know, it, it, as much as in weird moments. And I think the answer that I came to with Hill in the story you could read and, and something that I've kind of generally arrived at is um, when we talk about these players outside of football and their lives and who they are as people and their past, we have to mention these things. Um, and I, that's something, you know, I certainly felt that way with the end of Ben Rothersberger's career. You know, I, when I would talk about him as Just a football player would be one thing, but when we talk about his whole story, I felt compelled to tell the whole story. And that's just generally my approach going forward. Obviously, something I'm going to confront with Deshaun Watson at some point. And right now, we are talking about Deshaun Watson as a person, not just a player. So I do feel like it is more present and important to bring up.
1: I I really well said, and you and I have had this conversation uh, through text uh, recently, and you know, these, these don't become uh, more comfortable or easier conversations to have just because time has passed. Yeah. And, you know, Ty- Tyreek Hill, one of the realities, like in the same way that every time somebody talks about him in his post-football playing career, it's not going to be like, I'm just making this up. If Tyree Hill goes on to become like a real estate mogul in South Florida, when people are talking about him at the age of 47, like they're not a hey, former NFL wide receiver, right? Like you bear the responsibility of significant things took place in your life and the reality is that Tyree Kills had two significant situations off the field that were scary. Uh, as you mentioned, the second one did not result in much legally, but still it was a daunting set of accusations when they were still present. And uh, he is going to have to deal with the responsibility of his actions. And that's something that's never not going to be part of the discourse as far as far he, as long as he is playing.
0: Yeah, it's also actually relevant now in a way that You know, there are times where it's more, I think, important to be discussed because this trade, this contract extension, the Dolphins are making a big bet on him as a person, not just as a football player. You know, they're committing seriously to him. And as we've just, you know, that does come with some risks because of his past. I do want to start by talking about it from the Chiefs end, though, because I think this is the end that more people were shocked by. Although the longer I think about it, the my sort of balance of being like unsurprised by the it was probably surprised by the Chiefs and unsurprised by the Dolphins. It's starting to like change a little bit. But I want to start with Kansas City. So, um, a little uh, known Twitter account Field Yates posted, <laughs> following the trade of Tyreek Hill. The Chiefs now have twelve picks in the twenty twenty two draft. Um, obviously, they made this trade knowing the extension he wanted. This was actually after the Adams deal, knowing how much they had to pay. I wonder if you can just kind of start by speaking to what you felt went into their decision-making process, um, accounting for, you know, the trade value, the money, their cap, how they spend their money now, all of it.
1: Yeah. So there's a lot. And you have to sort of just like start at the top here and just like, look at roster construction. And the reality is that when you have a quarterback on a real quarterback contract, which Mm -hmm. the Chiefs do, even if Patrick Mahomes, $45 million per year salary could soon be the seventh or eighth or ninth highest paid quarterback in the league. Like it's a significant number, right? Beyond that. They've made major splashes in terms of contracts. Chris Jones makes a lot of money, four years, 80 million bucks. Joe Tooney got $16 million a year. They've already franchise tagged Orlando Brown, who's going to probably sign an extension, let's call it 18 to $21 million per year as a left tackle. Travis Kelsey is highly paid. There are a lot of players on that roster that are at or near the top of their market. At some point, you have to make calculations about which ones are going to keep and which ones become expendable. And I don't know if Tyreek Hill is a Dolphin right now. If Devontae Adams yeah. is still on the franchise tag and not traded to the Las Vegas Raiders, because the minute Devonte Adams signed that deal, and Mina, I laugh when I see people get all up in arms about how you know contracts are misrepresented the initial reporting, and then you know subsequent reports with more detailed, uh, you know, sort of look, you know, more, a more detailed look at them sort of brings the truth. The reality is that when Tyreek Hill saw that Devontae (laughs) Adams' new contract paid him on average $28.5 million per year, maximum money, it changed the calculation for him. It just did. Because if you look at the number of players that are in between where now Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams and the DeAndre Hopkins extension are, Mm. like it goes from 27.25 or 27.5 for DeAndre Hopkins, the next highest is... Now is, is uh, Mike Williams and Chris Godwin and a couple others at $20 million a year. Like $20 million to twenty seven point five is a huge gap. So if the Chiefs were looking to make Tyreek Hill the highest paid receiver a month ago and offered him a deal that paid him $22.5 million per year in new money average, you could still make the case that was the highest paid receiver in the NFL or you could have the DeAndre Hopkins nuanced conversation, which just for those that are unfamiliar – The Cardinals tacked on two years to DeAndre Hopkins' contract, but he was only making $13 million per year from them in the first three years. So if you're Mm -hmm. the Cardinals, you're looking at it as more like a $19 million per year investment, whereas Hopkins is saying, hey, the new money that I'm signing, which who knows if he'll be with the Cardinals in those fourth and fifth years of his He probably will, but he, he might not be. Like, Who knows how much money he's actually making on that extension? So anyways, we're a little bit deep in the weeds. But- the point is that that Devonte Adams trade changed everything, and I think Tyree Kill's goal and aspirations probably you know, they may have shifted when that when that deal gets done. And Drew Rosenhaus, his agent, sort of alluded as much to mm-hmm. as much. And Kansas City had to make a difficult calculation: someone had to go from all of those pieces because you simply can't keep seven, eight, nine, ten players at top of the market deals. Um, and for the Chiefs we could have a thoughtful conversation about which of those players is least or most replaceable. And some might argue that Tyree Kill is least replaceable other than Patrick Mahomes. Mm. But when it doesn't seem like a deal is going to get done and you're facing the possibility of this player just saying, you know what, a year from now, franchise tag me if you want, but I'd like to be out anyways. Mm. You got to make tough choices. And the opportunity now with 12 draft picks, eight of which come in the first four rounds, you can replenish this roster, Mina, and we could be talking about this and in the, in the kind of light that like extends their longevity. Um, and I was trying to think of like a comparable trade. I didn't have a perfect analog for it, but the closest I could think of for the Chiefs, and I know that some people would say, well, this, this trade wasn't perfect, but the Patriots traded away Chandler Jones with a year left on his contract. And Chandler's still a good player now. Yeah. He just got a ton of money from the Raiders. So I'm not saying that the Patriots traded away a guy who would go on and melt and no longer be useful. But when the Patriots did that, it was because they didn't feel as though they could find a contract that was palatable for their books that Chandler Jones is going to sign. It turned into multiple draft picks. One of those became Joe Tooney, a chief now who has been one of the best guards in football. One, I think two or three Super Bowls with the Patriots, like not every pick they made was a hit, but the point is that it's like reallocating your resources and it's a difficult pill to swallow. But I think the chiefs looked at this as high risk for sure or some level of risk for sure but a potential window extending trade even if it might cost them a bit in the short term.
0: Yeah, so I I can see how you talked a little bit about the allocation of capital and you know all the big contracts and I could see an argument that because Hill is such a unique player and because the way he impacts, I mean, the whole offense is really built around what he does or has been built around what he does. It would have been, the Chiefs might've been better served to try to extend him instead of signing Joe Tooney. You know, the Chiefs, we just talked about the Bengals and how they revamped their offensive line. The Chiefs didn't just revamp their offensive line. They threw everything at. They signed the best guard in football, right? Or one of the best guards in football. Um, And I think you can have a reasonable debate about, whether that was wise in retrospect. That said, I also think a couple of things factor in the Chiefs' decision-making. Um, Tyreek is 28 years old, and he is a speed-wide receiver. I have to imagine internally there was some belief that that speed will fall off, perhaps, I, I you know, at some point, maybe in a couple of years, whatever. And if he was 25, they might have kept him. Um, they could be wrong in making that judgment. I'm just saying, just trying to kind of think about how they approach this. And the other thing is something that you alluded to, which is extending the window. So, you know, we've been talking a lot about Rodgers and Adams. And I think as a Packers fan, you can't feel good about that because Aaron Rodgers needs to win a Super Bowl now. Right. Like I, but Patrick Mahomes is 26, man. Like their window is gigantic with him. And like you said, this does feel like a window extending move that's not as short term focused as teams like the Bucks. You know, for example, with veteran quarterbacks, their approach is very different because the quarterback really, truly does need to win now.
1: Totally. And like the Chiefs fans out there need to like be preparing themselves for moves like this because they're going to happen more often. And I don't want to make everything just, I I just made a comparison between the Patriots and the Chandler Jones trade. But I, I actually think that's like an appropriate analogy here is that the Patriots made a lot of difficult decisions over the course of their 20 years with Brady and Belichick, right? And some of them worked out masterfully. Some of them worked out less masterfully, but ultimately like it's not easy. Like the reality of having a bunch of good players is eventually they become expensive. Your Seahawks dealt with this when there was a defensive exodus and they were able to keep things afloat because of the ascension of Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner, keeping that defense at a level where it was at least competitive enough. But like at some point you're going to have to pay the Piper. And Mm. I don't know which next key star player is going to be on the move from Kansas city. But for as long as Patrick Mahomes is around, and he's unless he decides to just play for the bare minimum, like they're going to have to make difficult decisions because, again, the salary cap is real, even if people don't want to recognize it as such, because teams like the Saints and the Eagles are constantly finagling contracts to make it seem like the salary cap is not real. So I got it from the Chiefs perspective, like at no doubt. I think the Chiefs are going to deal with some limitations on offense, especially out of the gates. Unless yeah. we'll see what happens to the draft, but like they're a worse offense right now than they were at the end of last season. That being said, like f- f- five years from now, like we may be talking about one of the players that they drafted through the picks in this deal as the next Tyree Kill or the most important part of their defensive front or a building block safety or you name it, and that's what the upside is of this con- of this trade.
0: Yeah, that's huge. I mean, the de- defense was not good. If <laughs> you looked at the depth chart sure. after the free agent departures and whatever, like there's holes. And this I, I I while I imagine they will try to address wide receiver um with one of their picks, there's a lot of things they can do uh with those picks to try to fix the defense. Totally. I, I do want to say, by the way, I, I mentioned the Tooney contract, and I think probably the one that would merit more criticism would be the trade for Orlando Brown, um, because they're because of how much they traded for him. And you know, he's a good player. They're gonna have to pay him a ton of money. This is about this is about to become a very, very expensive offensive line. Um yeah, I, just it have, sure will be. I just have one remaining question for you about the football thing, because you know, you talked about the offense getting worse. So they did sign Juju Smith Schuster, which I uh, before before left labeled as one of my favorite signings. Very, I thought like added a missing element to their offense, um, very sure. reasonable price-wise. And then after that, they signed Marcos Valdez-Scantling to a three-year, $30 million deal. Um, you know, on his face, obviously, he brings the same speed element, but, you know, a different, like a much bigger wide receiver than Tyreek Hill. And so I want to ask you this. Do you think there is any football rationale behind the trade as well? Because we are talking about offense that struggled intermittently last year, Ah, uh, the word "too high" words too high, probably used mm-hmm. more than they've ever been used uh, by NFL commentators. And, and with defenses, you know, just very aggressively trying to limit Hill's impact over the top. Do you think that factored in at all to their evaluation of his worth to the team?
1: Hmm. Maybe a little bit, a little bit. But I get the sense this was more motivated by the opportunity to replenish their draft capital and also the contract demands or the contract requests yeah. from. Tyreek Hill, because as you said, like the idea of Marquez Valdez Scantling is to try to replicate some of what Tyreek Hill does. Certainly, the efficacy is going to be, I would think, much lower uh, given Scantling's career up to this point. It's not like Marquez Valdez Scantling was being held back by a quarterback, he played with Aaron Rodgers. Um, But like, I I think that the Chiefs probably understand internally that like it's not going to be like the football part is going to be really tough to pick up. You know, the pieces without Tyree Kill. It's just that the draft capital and the
0: yeah.
1: salary cap implications were too rich to ignore.
0: Yeah. And it, there are some fun wide receivers in this draft that I'm looking forward to talking yeah, about. Are. Um, okay. So speaking of wide receivers in a team that's really invested in them, the Miami Dolphins. Uh oh man, uh somebody did you post this? The amount of draft capital or maybe Mike Clay did to the that they've allocated to the position is really Mike, yeah. Uh, a lot. A lot, a lot, a lot. Um, because they traded up last year for Jalen Waddle. Um, so now, you know, Miami Dolphins have been very active in free agency, basically to build around Tua to Tangabeloa or at least give him the opportunity to succeed or fail. Uh, they added Teron Armstead, which was a deal that I loved, Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mostert. Um, also, uh, the aforementioned Cedric Wilson, um, Connor Williams, that yep. offensive line as well. Uh, this is now the fastest group of skill players in yep. football, I feel pretty comfortable saying. And I, I'm sure that could be quantified as well. They brought back Mike uh, Gusecki. Gusecki, right? I always... Just, Gusecki. Gusecki. Yep. Gusecki, yep. Okay. So, they gave up a lot for Tyreek Hill. Um, how do you like this for them? Like, do you feel like, obviously they're going to be better. Let's, we could throw that out there right away. Do you feel however, like this? Oh, oh no, sorry, pardon me. It was Brad Spielberger from PFF who tweeted between this trade and the trade up for Jalen Waddle. Miami has given up the following draft capital for two wideouts, a 2021 fourth two 2022 first, a 2022 second, a 22 fourth, 2022 fourth uh, 2023 fourth and a 2023 sixth. That is a lot of draft capital for two receivers. Do you feel like this was too short term for Kansas or Miami? Or do you feel like this was too like of an all in move for a team that's not necessarily all in to compete?
1: So like a big part of my brain says like, it's too all in because I don't view Miami right now as a legitimate AFC contender, by the way, like I could see them finishing third in their own division next year. wouldn't send me, right? I mean, Buffalo, as I mentioned earlier, the top team in the, in the league to me, and then New England, I think will be solid once again. Um, I, there's a chance that Miami is sitting on the sidelines come January, right? When the playoffs begin. On the other hand, Mina, I mean, I am not necessarily like a part another, part of my brain is like, I applaud teams that just want to get better mm-hmm. at some point. And yeah, same. Um, now this contract is significant, right? Um, like this is not, and I'm not, sorry, Jaguars fans, like I'm not trying to throw strays at you, but you know, they overpaid on Christian Kirk. And like, my contention is that, a guy who has four 100-yard games in four seasons probably doesn't dramatically change your outlook, and the only way for Christian Kirk to live up to that contract in Jacksonville is for him to be like a legitimate like Pro Bowl contender or like a 1,200 to 1,300-yard per year receiver, right? In Miami, Tyree Kill can be close to what he has been production-wise, which is whatever, 1,300 to 1,500 yards and 10 receiving touchdowns per year. And we can feel like it's pretty close to worth the money, and I think that's doable. So I don't have an issue with them wanting to get decidedly better this year. This is one of those deals, and this is such a fence-sitting move to (laughs) to, to, to default to. But like, I want to revisit this one in three years, right? Because I'm okay with the idea of them getting better. But this one feels like potentially a big swing that could come back and bite them, in the you know what, right? Because mm. in assessing, or in not just trading for Tyreek Hill and sacrificing all that draft capital, and they still have two first round picks next year, and they've got flexibility there, and they do. They've had a lot of picks in the past couple of years, but in some ways, it's you know this this deal and the, the signing of Teron Armstead and some of the moves they made has been like a concession that some of their previous drafts have been significant whips, right? I mean, they had three first round picks in 2019, two Tua being one of them, and then. Noah or late in the first round who was inactive for a handful of games last year, and Austin Jackson, who right now looks like he might be a bench player for them. Um for the draft, just having draft picks is not always the you know the the, the saving grace some was signed it to be. But like Dalvin has spent a bunch of money. And if they're making Tyree Kill, the highest paid wide receiver by a country mile, what does that say to other players who are coming up for contracts, including one of their own right now? Xavier Howard, who's an Ooh, all-pro quarterback, who last year when he got his yeah. deal done. They they reworked his contract. Part of the sort of the rhetoric was, or part of the agreement last year was that they're going to have a good faith conversation. They just basically they they fortified the guarantees last year. He got a couple extra million dollars, but you know what he really wants is a deal that pays him much more, like a top five cornerback. And if you're Miami right now and you tell Xavier Howard, a homegrown player who's been a Pro Bowl, All Pro caliber guy, like I'm not so sure. Like, what's the message that you're sending him? Given the fact that you just traded for a player who I think is either the same age or a year younger than Xavier Howard, and made him the richest contract, or given him the richest contract ever for a, for a wide receiver, so I, I I know that I'm I fence that in the sense that I I approve of the idea of getting better, hmm. but this strikes me as one that three years from now we could look back and say you know what a little patience would have prevailed a long way in my would have gone a long way in Miami. Yeah, I think there's two
0: ways this could go wrong for them, and there's there, there's one way. Well, oh gosh, this is one where it's like so hard to, um, okay. So what this, as we discussed, this obviously improves the offense. I'm very excited to see what Mike McDaniel does with this group of skill players, improved offensive line. There's, I would be shocked. Even if Tua isn't great, who knows? They're still going to be better more likely than not. Um, and I think that's True. important for the reasons we discussed. I think it's good. I think there's, two potential pitfalls here. One is that Hill doesn't age well, which we talked about from the Chiefs' perspective. You know, like, you bet, Mm -hmm. like, you know, he falls off a cliff. You get kind of, like, the current iteration of, I don't know, Sean Jackson, who's much older. But I'm just saying, like, that's one risk. And then the... uh, Or that, you know, Hill doesn't play for off-the-field reasons or anything like that. The other risk is, let's say you've acquired all these offensive skill players, you've proved the offensive line, Tua's still not, the guy, which, again, I have no idea at this point. I've said often. My concern is even if you have those two first-rounders next year, I think you could potentially argue in the future that they would have been using all of this draft capital, saving it, or whatever, to find a quarterback. Um, Mm. Basically, what they're doing is creating the ideal conditions for a quarterback, but if that quarterback is not the guy, I don't think it would be a total failure because I do think they'd still have potential... Uh, the ability to get get one, you know, but it it would it's harder than it would be if they still had all the picks. So I kind of just totally. generally where I land on this is like where you landed, which is this is one where I don't think we'll know if it was the right decision for a, for a minute.
1: Well, don't you think, so, and I know this is both of us kind of sort of said this, but I, at least on my end, I need to sort of be a little bit more articulate is that like, there's no doubt they're better right now. Yes. Right? They are better. There's no way that they're not better right now, but at what cost? The cost could be that two years from right now, Tyreek Kiel not the same player, or it's, you know, some of the things we talked about from a salary cap perspective, or, hey, your offense is good, but you're the Denver Broncos for the past couple of years where you've got all these great wide receivers and, you know, cool players to work with, but you don't have the quarterback in place. So and it's, it's, like, a, oh, it's, tough. it's a, TBD. it's a
0: TBD. It's a TBD. And, and TBD, I think like, which, not to yet again, um, <laughs> cast shade on the Jags, but like, you know, the Jags did a lot too, to try to improve their situation around their quarterback. I think we all agree they didn't get great value, but that quarterback will be in a better position to succeed. And there's a value in that. And I compare that to the bears, which is a team that approached, I thought approaches off offseason very like moderately temperate, good contracts, you know, understand the rebuilding. The Mac trade was smart. However, Justin Fields is a terrible position. Right. And so like, I, I think yeah. there's always so many things to evaluate when we look at these decisions, ranging from like value and self-awareness to, how can we position our quarterback or young quarterback to succeed? And I think Miami is like, it's a a slightly different version of what Jacksonville did. I think they actually did get very good players, um, admittedly not on bargains and yeah, we will see if it works out. Fascinating, fascinating trade. Honestly, like I've gone back and forth on this one so many times field. And I really think it's just such an interesting case study for how to build an NFL team.
1: I'm with you, and I I have one closing thought on this because it feels like we've had the boldest offseason yet, and part of me wonders if there are two motivating factors behind it. One is which we've had recent success stories in the Bengals and also the Rams who have been unafraid to be bold and do things. Things happen in a hurry for Cincinnati, and the Rams have been unconventional, and it's really worked out, trades and free agent signings and the like. And Two is we've got younger general managers than ever, and it feels like we've got some of the – sort of fresh blood that's unafraid to do things yeah. a little bit different than the older guard who forever the team building MO in the NFL was draft, develop, draft, and develop.
0: Totally. That's a good point. Um, And you mentioned a team that gives me an excellent segue to Dinks and Dunks.
1: And now it's time for Dinks and Dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right?
0: As always, five questions for our guest, four from me, one from Lenny. Uh, The team I was referencing uh, was the Rams. So the Super Bowl champs um, had an interesting offseason. You lose some talent. Robert Woods, Von Miller, Darius Williams. You gain an Allen Robinson. Do you feel like the Rams got better or worse?
1: I think they got a little worse. I still think they're good enough to win a Super Bowl again next year. There is a championship medal, and that sounds a little bit cliche, that is established when you win the whole thing. There's a belief that you can do it again, that you are the team to beat. I think, though, they are a little bit inferior. Von Miller was really good for them in the postseason. And at least as of right now, I'm not sure their wide receiver room is any better than it was last year. And you called the Rams preseason games, so you spent a ton of time around them. Robert Woods, no matter how good his numbers are, is like way better as a player then even his numbers would suggest he is. Yeah. So that's going to be a pretty significant loss, in my opinion.
0: Oh, I love that for Tennessee. I don't think I got to cover that um, signing felt between my podcast, but I absolutely loved it for the Titans. Um, yeah, I tend to agree. I think um, the saving grace of the Rams, frankly, is that they're in the NFC. <laughs> like, if they were in the AFC, I don't think I would have them as Super or Bowl really? contenders. But... They're in the NFC, and that alone uh, will keep them in because con- they're still a very good team, and I think it'll keep them in contention. So congrats to the Rams. All right, well, speaking of the AFC, question two. We've been talking a lot about um, the horrible volcano of fire and death that is the AFC West. I want to ask you this. Gun to your head right now, who do you think wins the division?
1: Still the Chiefs, and I'm going to take the path of least resistance. Love that. Yeah.
0: That's actually now resistance. a controversial take.
1: Yeah, yeah. trusting the quarterback the most in Patrick Mahomes. And uh, I I know this is several years ago, and I know that things change rapidly in the NFL, and the division is much stronger. But there was a four-game stretch in which Patrick Mahomes played without Tyree Keel back in 2019. The Chiefs were 3-1 and one in those four games scored plenty other than the fourth game against the Colts, a Sunday night game. But Mahomes accounted for over 300 passing yards in each of those four games. The passing offense was not the area that struggled or led them to that loss in that final game against the Colts. Like I, I have confidence they're going to figure it out. I, I Maybe I'm being a little bit too simplistic, but to me, the Chiefs still look like, for right now, the team to be in that division.
0: Nah, I've been going back and forth on this constantly <laughs> Feel like I know it's hard. It's so it's bad hard. Bad. It's so hard. I'm so yeah, I'm tempted to pick the chargers, but like uh, the chargers win every media season. And they disappointed me so much. All right. Question three. So I think that all of the quarterback movement this year, some of it has to do with the Rams influence, the just kind of changing nature of the NFL, but a lot of it has to do with the league's perception of the quarterbacks in this draft quite clearly. Um, right now, Do you think I'm sorry to ask you for predictions, predictions, everybody don't yell at field. If any of these are wrong, because I'm being annoying. Do you think right now a quarterback goes top 10?
1: I do not. Woo. Yeah. And the counterpoint would be pretty obvious that the Panthers and the Seahawks and the Falcons uh, all are in the top 10 and probably could justify taking a quarterback in the first round, but I could be so far off. And it may be that more conversations that I'm having are with people from teams that have a plan for this year at quarterback, but I do not believe a quarterback go in the top ten.
0: I'd rather have the Seahawks take like a Kayvon Thibodeau or yeah. uh, uh one of the elite corners at nine and then I don't know if if Ritter or, or someone is available at forty. That would be my preference, honestly.
1: Totally. Um Yep, I'm with you.
0: Kayvon to nine. I'm trying to manifest it. Uh <laughs> um just okay. Seahawk. Oh, how good would that be too? Such a need for so them, good. such a building block. I just that would be awesome. Homegrown. Homegrown. All right. Question number four. I mentioned that Juju Smith Schuster was a signing I loved, also Robert Woods. Um, last week Patrick Claybon actually pointed to Chandler Jones. I just want to ask you, what is a signing from this very active and crazy offseason that kind of tickled your fancy?
1: For better or worse? Like, is it one that like? Oh, that you, know, you loved? I, I, that you like the
0: fit of? Parenting. That I loved. Okay, yeah.
1: I wasn't okay. I just want to make sure it wasn't like, yeah, you could like, you know, like tickle... you know, got, got no, you got no, wild no, okay. up. So one like, where you liked you, it. You don't yeah. really love.
0: <sighs> I should have asked you this.
1: Before. So I mentioned like, yeah, something that's like a little bit like so like too cool of an answer. As I mentioned earlier, was <laughs> like like Billy Turner going back to the to the Broncos. Like that's not sort of saucy enough. Um, I think that, and I also like I tend to be the person that will lean on like. I like when players uh, sign with their own team because there's the most information and all that stuff. But yeah. a deal that I think is for legitimate money that I thought was just a really solid, fair value for a team that needed this a lot was the Eagles adding Hassan Reddick. Yeah. Three years, 45 million bucks. Uh, just like good value, right? 15 or so million dollars per year. They got, you know, Josh Wett's their best natural pass rusher right now. But the opportunity to bring Radic aboard as well to fill a need, obviously has roots in Philadelphia, played at Temple young enough where it's he's hitting the prime of his career. That to me was one that just felt like just a good, solid piece of football business that was not necessarily top of the market, but like right where you needed it to be for this for a player of his caliber, like really rock solid contract all the way around for both sides
0: to agree and what an interesting career trajectory reddick has had right um happy for him as well but yeah just see eagles defense getting a bit younger not like super younger but i think that's something they really need to do in their front seven i really like this them for this for them too all right last question as always comes from lenny Mm. lenny heard that you had a baby kinley the beautiful kinley um he just wants to know and of course he knows you have cisco golden retriever yeah also beautiful. He just wants to know which one you like better.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a great question, Lenny. And uh, interesting, you're putting me on the spot like that. Um,
0: that's what he does. Hard hitting. There's a
1: lot of love for both of them, and this is like choosing between your. Ch- I've, I've always wanted to use the phrase "choosing between your children," literally, and this is the close I've ever, I've ever been to actually having the chance to do so. You know, Lenny. One thing I will say is that while I love Cisco, and with every fiber Uh-oh. of my being, Uh-oh. and he is a wonderful little boy, Lenny's not gonna sometimes ill behaved. One thing I have noticed is that like, there's a love for your kids that wow. you can't describe until they arrive. That is really hard to put into words here. So Cisco, um, I'm going to go after this podcast down and give him probably like a 30 minute belly rub and as no. many treats as he wants. Everyone, everyone gonna, like, heard it It's
0: publicized. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so,
1: um, if my, if Cisco, uh, asked to be removed from our household, um, <laughs> I understand, but, uh, something about looking at that little girl and uh it's hard to describe it and 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 do so succinctly uh and i think appropriately she's it's it's been special it's been very very fun we are extremely fulfilled
0: lenny is sitting right here and he says he appreciates your candor but you're dead to him
1: (laughs) i understand i totally get it i'm sorry lenny i feel like i let him down and cisco down jeez (laughs) Can can we scrub this podcast is there any chance that we weren't recording during this show because that would be great